Matthew's Gospel, the seventh chapter. Amen. And um, I appreciate you being here to hear and receive what the Holy Spirit has prepared for us tonight. And we're going to learn some more about a merciful heart. Amen. A merciful heart. Praise God. All right, Matthew chapter 7 and um, verse number 1. It says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? I'll tell you what, let me put the brakes on right here for just a moment. Aren't you thankful that Jesus came and explained this to us? I mean, you, you talk about a, a potential problem, you know, if, if we don't understand this. And this is not the first time that, that he talks about this, or the only time, I should say. That, that he talks about this. He, he goes into this in great detail. He shares parables um, about this, long elaborate stories to illustrate this. It, it's, it's very, very important um, that we understand. So he says, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Amen. I'm not responding, right? Praise God. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So um, let me try to restart this tonight. Praise God. Amen. I may have to get you to do it for me, Sister Christy, if this don't, this don't get it. Amen. Are you blessed tonight? Amen. Praise God. We're... Um, we're rejoicing. The um, uh, dad's doctor had told him that um, he was, he, he said 80% sure that what dad was dealing with was cancer. And um, of course, we found out yesterday that it was not and is not. And so we are um, very, very thankful for just the goodness of God in that situation. And I won't put you through this if it doesn't work we won't um. alright so how can you say to your brother let me remove the speck from your eye and look a plank is in your own eye hypocrite first remove the plank that is in your eye then you'll see clearly remove the speck from your brother's eye let's do some quick review things we've talked about already that we need to be reminded of tonight first of all Satan cannot mess up your life without your cooperation Ephesians 4 and 27 tells us to give no place to the devil we understand that the devil is trying to trick you into giving him place and into disqualifying yourself from the good things that Father desires to do for you and in you and through you. Amen. The more we grow in the truth, the harder it becomes for the devil to trick us into cooperating with him. Offenses are traps. If you take the bait, the resulting debt will leave you in a place of judgment against your offender. And then refusing to forgive is one of the main ways the devil tricks us into giving him place in our lives. In other words, if, if we hold on to those things, it's like putting a little wedge in the door and just propping it open for the devil to gain access into our lives. Now, we've also learned that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He is, re, 
and he is relentless in his accusations. He is constantly accusing you because he wants you to be judged. We protect ourselves from being judged by judging ourselves and by not judging others. That's very important. And we also see that Jesus taught us that we qualify for mercy by showing mercy to others. Now, let's kind of work our way through uh, some of the things we talked about last week, and then we'll get on to some new stuff. You will be measured according to the stick you use to measure others. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So we also learned last week that we do not measure or judge all people with the same stick. We tend to show more love, mercy, and patience towards people we like and less towards those we don't. So our sliding scale of judgment tends to slide on an axis of love. Or we could say it this way, on an axis of fondness. Maybe love's a little too broad there. An axis of fondness, somebody that, that we are fond of, somebody that, that, that you know, has a special place in our heart, so to speak. And we, we often say of people who have that place in our heart and, and they can commit some kind of you know, really serious offense towards us and we'll say, well, you know, I'm going to let that one slide. I'm going to let it slide. Well, we learned last week that God also has a sliding scale of judgment, but His doesn't slide on an axis of love or fondness, but on the axis of the mercy that you show to others. It's really, really important there. Um, I've got it somewhere deeper in my notes. Let me just go ahead and say it now, okay? In every situation, Jesus taught us this. Remember, Jesus is revealing the Father to us and the heart of, He's a living, breathing expression of God become flesh and, and among us. And we see that in every situation, Jesus wanted to show mercy. That's Father's default position. He, he, he always wants to show mercy, but, but sometimes He is unable to show mercy, not because He doesn't want to show it, but because we have not shown mercy ourselves. So which stick will God judge you with? And the answer is, which stick is the better indicator of what's in your heart? The one you use to measure your friend or the one you use to measure the annoying and outspoken co-worker with different politics from you? Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Now, just to remind you that to judge means to form and express a negative opinion about another person. I think sometimes we're in denial about our problem with judging other folks is because we think judging is something more severe than that, okay? But to judge simply means to form and express a negative opinion about another person. If you really start to apply this to your life, and this is what I'm, I'm learning in my own life as, as, as I, um, with the Lord's help and am becoming a, a non-judgmental person in every area and every aspect of my life, is um, it's, it's going to pretty much eliminate you having and expressing opinions uh, about a whole lot of situations and a whole lot of things. Amen. Amen. I heard Brother Keith Moore uh, teaching on this one time, and, and, and he, he said, when people ask you what you think about something, he said, just it's nothing wrong with saying, I don't. I don't. I'm not. Because, see, that's the enemy trying to, you know, what do you think about this? And what do you think about this situation? What do you think about that decision? What do you think? See, all of those are, are, you know, the enemy trying to get you to put yourself in a position of judgment over and against another person. 
things. I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm praying for them. I'm, I'm, I'm just what the Bible tells me to do and, and so forth and so on, okay? So, um, I'll tell you what, let's, uh, there's a whole lot we could still review, but let's go to Romans chapter 2 uh, tonight. Romans, the second chapter. Let's, let's look at some new, some new verses tonight. Um, the Bible has a lot to say about this. But um, Romans uh, chapter 2, amen. So remember, if we refuse to forgive, Jesus said we should not expect to be forgiven. If we have little to no mercy on others, we should not expect to be shown mercy. If we're critical and judgmental of uh, other people, um, we should not be expected. We should not expect to be treated um, any differently from that. What we see to, to try to simplify all of this is that God will deal with you the way you deal with other people. And one thing I know I've said this multiple times, but it's really, really helped to me because I think sometimes we are lured into judging other people because what they're doing is obviously wrong. But remember, Jesus didn't say, why are you falsely accusing your brother of having an issue or a problem or some inconsistency or some error in his life? Jesus conceded that the, that the, the other person had a problem. He's asking, why do you feel compelled to focus on it and call attention to it? Okay, So is it still judging if the other person is obviously in error or at fault? And the answer is yes, it's still judging. So Romans uh, chapter 2, and let's begin at verse number 1. It says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you judge, for you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man... You who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Who will render to each one according to his deeds? Now, if I could, I'm going to come back and comment on, on several of these verses. But I want to read this, uh, these same six verses to you uh, from the Passion Translation. And I'll put them up on the screen so you can follow along with me. But here is the same verses from the Passion Translation. It says this, No matter um, who... You are, before you judge the wickedness of others, you had better remember this, you are also without excuse, for you too are guilty of the same kind of things. When you judge others and then do the same things they do, you condemn yourself. We know that God's judgment falls upon those who practice these things. God is always right because He has all the facts. Now that's, that's important right there, okay? One of the reasons, there's lots of reasons why we shouldn't judge. The number one reason is Jesus told us not to. The number two reason is whatever judgment you, you extend to others is going to come right back to you, okay? But the, the, the other really important reason why we shouldn't judge is that we don't know the whole story. We, we don't know all the details. We don't know, you know, what people have been through and, and 
and maybe they didn't have the the benefit of being raised in Sunday school like some of you were and some of the things that you know and learned and you started when you were very young and very impressionable learning uh, the ways of God. When somebody else, when they were very young and very impressionable, uh, were, were being raised in a dysfunctional home with all kinds of abuse and sinfulness and foul language and you know so forth and so on, okay? So, I mean, that's just one scenario, but... We shouldn't judge because we don't know all of the details. We don't know how people wound up in the positions that they uh, wound up in. But God does. This is what this is what qualifies Him to uh, to judge and to judge accurately. Okay. So He goes on to say, and no matter um, who you think you are, when you judge others who do these things and then do the same things yourself, what makes you think you will escape God's judgment? Do the riches of his extraordinary kindness make you take him for granted and despise him? To, dis- to despise here doesn't mean what you think it means. We hear, man, I despise. Um, you know, th- we think of something like bitter hatred. Here, to despise means to think little of something, to, to, to not have it in its proper place as far as the respect that you give it as far, as far as the place that you give it in your life. So one more time, do the riches of his extraordinary kindness make you take him for granted and despise him? Haven't you experienced how kind and understanding he has been to you? Don't mistake his tolerance for acceptance. Do you realize that all the wealth of his extravagant kindness is meant to melt your heart and lead you into repentance? But because of your calloused heart and refusal to change direction, you are piling up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. For he will give to each one in return for what he has done. Now, there are several things that I want us to look at, and, and this may be as far as we get tonight, this, these six verses. Um, but let's, let's begin when he says, therefore, you are inexcusable. This word inexcusable means probably what you think it means, without excuse, have no excuse. Um, But if you look at it deeper, what he's saying is their judgment of other people has placed them in a position that cannot be defended. And more importantly, it is, they've placed themselves in a position where they cannot receive mercy. They can't, they can't be shown mercy because they have chosen to judge other people rather than show mercy to them. So when he says, therefore, you are inexcusable, um, he's saying that they have placed themselves in a position that cannot be defended or shown mercy to Once again, God always wants to forgive. God always wants to show mercy. But if we refuse to show it to others, we limit His ability to show it to us. That is so important. Man, that is so important. Now, if if you also notice, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but, but when He talks about how you're treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath, See, the thing that we know about God all the way back from the Old Testament is that He gives people plenty of time to repent. He gives people plenty of time. In other words, 
There are occasions in the Scripture where it would seem like judgment was immediate and swift, but what, what we don't understand is that it just a whole bunch of things finally uh, you know, came to a breaking point, if you will. Um, we, we see this expression a, a few times uh, in, the, in the Bible where he talks about the iniquity finally you, you know, being, being filled up, fill up the iniquity. Um, we see in, in one case the people who originally lived in the, in the promised land uh, that it took them nearly 400 years before God finally said, okay, you've had plenty enough time to change and to repent we're fixing to do something different, and, and, and judgment came. So I'm ahead of myself, but maybe I just need to get this part stated, then we'll come back around to it. We, we sometimes, you know, when we, when we judge other people, it, it, it almost, you know, it's like we got away with it. But what he's saying here is you're not getting away with it. It's, it you're actually treasuring it up. It's, it's, it's building up, it's accumulating, um, and there will come a day when it will be revealed, and it'll be God's righteous judgment, um, all because you refuse to show mercy to other people, okay? Now, notice also in this, he says, O man, whoever you are who judge, so this is a universal principle here, much like sowing and reaping. He says, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For in whatever, keyword there is whatever, in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. This sounds a whole lot like what Jesus said, right? The same measure you use will be measured back to you. In whatever you judge another, that is where you yourself will be uh, judged and judgment will will be returned back to you. Now, this is going to require some explanation here when he says you who judge practice the same thing for you who judge practice the same things this one of the reasons why i wanted to read this to you in the passion translation because when we hear the same things we think well um this only applies to people who have committed the the exact same uh, act or sin of another person. And so this gives some, I'm not saying us, but this gives some uh, uh, believers, some Christians, uh, a false sense of as long as I haven't done it myself, I'm okay to judge somebody else who has. And that is, that's not what he's saying here. He's not saying like, okay, so, you know, someone, pick a sin. I mean, I'm just, I'm not... Someone committed adultery. Okay, adultery, for those of you who don't know, is when two people have sex that are not married to one another, but at least one of them is married to somebody else. Okay, um, and so that would be adultery. And so, you know, someone's like, well, you know, I've never committed adultery. I haven't done the same thing. And so somehow this gives me the right to judge someone who has, you know, committed this sin. That's that's not what he's talking about here when he says. Um, you who practice the same kind of things. Now, I'm going to ask you to stay with me for a moment. And how many of you would agree that um, given the, uh, the serious nature of this, if we're going to err, we want to err on the side of caution. In, in, in other words, we, we don't want to, especially when he says 
um, you know, you could be piling this up for yourself only to have to deal with it at some point down the road. And, and I think that's, um, praise God, let me get a drink of water here. Is everybody still with me? I'm not saying that's the answer to every situation, but I think that it is the answer for some situations. Amen or oh me. All right. So when he says, you who judge practice the same things, you have to understand the bigger picture of the book of Romans. And the bigger picture in the book of Romans is that Jewish men and women need the same Savior as Gentiles or non-Jewish men and women. So you see certain phrases in there, like, for instance, the Scripture has concluded all under sin. In other words, the, the, the Jewish uh, man or woman in, um, in you know, the time that all this is, is unfolding and developing, a lot of them even, listen very carefully, even those who recognize Jesus as being a prophet, a special man, maybe even the Son of God, they didn't feel compelled to call upon him to receive his gift of salvation because they're Jews. They're the descendants of Abraham. They're, they're you know, I mean, they, they're, in the, they're on the inside track with God. And so maybe Jesus was the, you know, was this person who came to do these things, but we don't need that. That's something that, that Gentile people need. And so there's a whole lot of confusion, a whole lot of misunderstanding. And so what the Holy Spirit placed his hand upon the Apostle Paul um, to do, uh, and, and you could even see this, um, I know that he was the apostle to the non-Jewish people, but because of his background in Judaism, the Jewish religion, and because of his vast knowledge of this, um, he helped a lot of Jewish men and women come to know the Lord as well. All right, And so what he's doing here is he's, when he addresses the, 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 the Jewish people in his time, and for that matter, it's still in our time, if you will, is he's trying to bring them to a conclusion that they need Jesus just as much as anybody else. Now, if you look at, like, the verse that's above this, I've got it somewhere in my notes, let me... All right, so let's do this. I'm going to put the... Chapter 1 ends at verse number 32... And then chapter 2, verse 1 begins with the word, therefore. You can see it right there. Therefore, you are inexcusable. Now, if you remember, therefore is a connecting word. Um, therefore could be interpreted to say this. In light of what we've just said, this is the truth. So he's saying, therefore, in light of, and we could make a case for going all the way back to verse 18 of chapter 1 through verse 32, um, that he's saying, now, in light of all of this, if, if you understand and agree with this, this means you're inexcusable, oh man, whoever you are who judge, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, okay? So let's look, we won't go all the way back to verse 18, but let's look at verse 32 through chapter 2, verse 1, because remember, this, originally was, this was not originally written in chapter and verse. So he says, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. 
okay? Now, I know we're getting a little deep in this, but I think it's worth our time here because we need to understand exactly what he's saying here. What he's saying here is not that you've necessarily committed the same identical sin as some Jewish, or for that matter, uh, non-Jewish person, but the great complaint that the Jews had of the non-Jewish people is that they knew what they were doing was wrong, but did it anyway. This is really, really important here, so stay with me now. They, that was, and if, if you've studied chapter 1 of Romans, you see that th- these are points that the Apostle Paul is, 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 is bringing. Um, obviously, we started in chapter 2 tonight. Think about someone, especially a Jewish man or woman, who is interested in this new faith called Christianity and that one of their leading uh, 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 poster child for, you know, that's what the Apostle Paul was, a Pharisee, he's converted. That in and of itself, I mean, was enough to get some folks' attention. And so now he's written this long document um, to the church at Rome Uh, perhaps he's telling his story, whatever. And so they start reading this, and obviously they're going to start, you know, at the front, and they're reading through this, and a whole lot of what he's saying there is making sense when he's talking about um, not worshiping God, not acknowledging God, trivializing themselves into into silliness and foolishness so there's neither course nor direction left in their lives. He he goes through all of this, and and it's it's almost like, I'm not trying to be silly here, but it's like he, he threw the bait out there, right, and he's He's fishing and he's reeling them in and now he brings them to chapter 2 verse 1 where he basically, you know, punches them with the reality, um, look, you've looked down your nose and judged people for doing things that they knew were wrong and did them anyway. You're excusable, old man, because (laughs) whoever you are uh, for judging another because you too have known it was wrong and, and you may not have done the exact same thing, but we've all, listen to me now, every single person in this room, we've done things that were wrong and we knew it was wrong. Let's go back to God has all the facts. See, the Bible says if you know to do good and do it not, to you it's sin. Now, you say, well, so maybe it would be better for us just to not to learn any more, you know, learn anything else because, you know, the, the, the light that we have, that's, that's, a, that's a real important expression that we need to be familiar with. The, the Bible says, to the degree, to the extent that you have learned and received revelation, that you need to walk in the light that you have. Amen. So it's one thing for you and for me to not walk in the light that we have. But it's another thing altogether for us to not walk in the light that we have while also judging other people for not walking in the light that they have. Are you seeing this? Very easy to throw rocks at them for... um, committing, you know, different sexual sins. He covers that in Romans chapter 1, right? And, and that's, a, that's a go-to place for a lot of people to pass judgment on a lot of folks who are, are, are expressing themselves in a sexual way. 
that clearly violates um, the will of God for, for, for people and what God's created them to do. Um, and so, you know, again, they felt very secure in their position of passing judgment on folks. I mean, after all, look what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah, you know what I'm saying? And these people living just like that, and they ought to know better, and they do know better, and they just do it anyway, and all this other stuff. Well, again, they shouldn't, it's, this is not about saying it's okay to, to do that. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about how the devil set a trap for so many people um, that would never commit some of the sin that other people are committing. But he's saying, you're inexcusable if you know to do right and don't do it and, and then are judging other people who also know to do right and aren't doing it. Getting quite up in here. That's okay. All right. You still with me? So the therefore of chapter 2, verse 1, bridges and connects verse 32 of the first chapter. Okay? Let's keep going. Amen. So, he says, but, um, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God. He's saying that you will not. Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? In other words, he's saying, do you think little of the goodness of God? Certainly God's been good to us when we didn't deserve it. That's called grace, right? But then notice that word right there, forbearance forbearance that's a really important word what does it mean to forbear it means to it means to put up with people who are who are doing things that annoy you it, it means to have patience with people to not judge them to show them mercy why why should we not judge other people because of the mercy that we've been shown why should we forgive people who've wronged us because god has forgiven us for wronging him why should we forbear and be patient with other people? Because God has shown tremendous forbearance and patience with us. So notice, he's saying that when we judge other people, when we are not merciful, when we are not patient with other people, right, that we are forgetting, we are thinking little of all of the goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering that God has shown to us. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. I'm not even going to try to pull all this up in my notes right now, but let me, let me talk to you for a minute, okay? And I know that what I'm about to say is probably going to be very controversial. I'm not trying to be controversial. I, I, I've worked... A, a long time here at Heritage to um, to correct a lot of the confusion and what I believe is misunderstanding and lies about our salvation and about what it means to be born again and and so I'm not trying to undo any of that okay Jesus was judged for my sin and punished for my sin he was judged for your sin he was punished for your sin so when we call upon the name of the Lord 
Because Jesus has already taken the blame and the punishment for not just part of our sin, but all of it. Sin that, God forbid, you haven't even committed yet. Jesus has taken the blame and the punishment for that, which enables us to become sons of God, which enables us to be saved to the uttermost entirely and completely forever. Amen. And the Bible says that if God makes you a son, in John the 8th chapter, that a son a son of God, a child of God, a daughter of God, will abide in the Father's house forever. Okay? Now, I know that some, again, will disagree with me. You pray about this, amen? And, and, and I know that there's more people listening to me right now that are not in the room um, than those who are in the room. But I think one of the things that confuses a lot of people as well when we start talking about the grace of God and the abundance of grace and the grace that brought salvation to us and, and when we really understand that, you know, our salvation, it's an eternal salvation with an eternal redemption. And, and again, if you're a son, you abide in the Father's house forever. Um, a slave, a servant to sin doesn't abide in the Father's house forever. He's not saying that a son um, who abides in the Father's house forever never does anything wrong. He's not saying that just because you become a child of God, this doesn't mean that you never make another mistake. That doesn't mean you never commit another sin. It doesn't mean that you, you, you don't still struggle with things and habits and what have you in your flesh. Amen. The Bible teaches contrary to that, that it's not what you do that makes you saved. It's what's been done for you and what you receive for yourself that enables you to become a child of God and be saved to the uttermost. He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. We can go on and on and on and on and on with that. So the question then remains, well, so that means we're forgiven. Well, the other side of that is if you sin, 1 John 1, 9, we have an advocate with the Father, and if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. You think, well, does the Bible not say He no longer keeps a record of our sin? It absolutely says He no longer keeps a record of our sin. So if He no longer keeps a record of our sin, why am I needing to confess that sin and ask Him to forgive me for it if He doesn't even keep a record of it, right? Have you ever stopped to consider that it may be more for your benefit than His? Have you ever stopped to think how important it is for you to keep those channels of, of, of communication and, and fellowship open? How, how, how do you feel if, let's just say you really wronged somebody and, 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 and you, you hurt them and you hurt them bad and, and you let them down and you disappointed them, right? You, the tendency is for you to, to stay a million miles away from that person, as far away from that person as you can get because you have wronged them in some way. And now, because there is that um, uh, offense that has taken place between your, your life and their life, now all of a sudden um, you're, you're, you're not comfortable around them, you don't feel at ease uh, around them, it, 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 it's embarrassing. and all. That's why Jesus didn't just say... Um, if you've wronged somebody, get it right. He said, if you know somebody has ought against you, go get it right. Very, very important. It's very satisfying and pleasing to God when we do whatever we can to be at peace and, and eliminate any kind of conflict, any kind of division, uh, that would exist between you and your heart and somebody else and their heart, okay? So even if you're not at fault, he asks you to go and make effort 
to, to clean that up and, and, to, and to clear that up, okay? All right? But now, but, but see, this is the thing that I think, and this is where a lot of people are probably going to get really freaked out about all this, because we've, we've had it drilled into our heads that if, if, if there's something that's not forgiven, then we're bound for hell, can can a son wrong his father and need to get his father to forgive him but still be his father's son? Are, are you seeing this? You see, it's, it's more... See, we, we get so... And listen, it's the way it was presented to us. I understand that. Not all of us, but so many of us you know, salvation was presented to us as, um, if you don't get saved, you're going to hell. And nobody wants to go to hell. It's a bad place. So why don't you come get saved? And I'm, I'm really, I'm, maybe I'm being too, uh, uh, you know, trivial or whatever with that. But in other words, it was presented to us in terms of eternal destination. You don't want to go to hell. And at least when you die, you do want to go to heaven. And, and, and so for so many of God's people... That's, that's how they look at everything that has to do with our relationship with God, our fellowship with God, you know, whether or not we should do this or that. People even, I've, I've had people ask me over the years, can you do this and still go to heaven? Can you live this way and still go to heaven? Can you drink wine and still go to heaven? Can you smoke reefer and still go to heaven? Can you have sex with your girlfriend and still go to heaven? Can you, in other words, it's, it's like we're just, we're trying to figure it out because it, it all you know, comes down to what can we do and still go to heaven. This is what the Apostle Paul said about it. He said, there's nothing that's unlawful for me. In other words, he says, I'm free. I'm free to do anything I want to do. I'm free to live any way I want to live. He says, but not all, not everything may be uh, uh, open option for me, but not everything is wise for me. He says, see, see, this is the level of relationship and fellowship that Father has, wants you to, to walk with Him on. It's, it's not whether or not you can do it and, and miss hell and go to heaven. It's, is this pleasing to God? Is, is this conducive to, to fellowship with Him? Is this going to draw me closer to Him or is this going to drive a wedge between His heart and mine? Am I going to be able to hear Him better in the morning if I do this or is it going to be harder for me to hear from Him in the morning if I do this? See, th- this, is, this is the level that Father God is wanting all this to be on, right? If, if, if I do this, am I, am I going to still be able to lay my hands on sick people and confidently cast the devil out of them or, or minister healing to them, Right? Or if I do this, is it going to make me reluctant to do, to do that? Is it going to make me uh, question whether or not I can take authority over the devil and do this? See, we we we've got to grow up in these things. We we, we you know we put all this in in the context of of, of, of this or that or what have you. If it, I I believe and and you can disagree with me and we'll still go to heaven together. I believe if you're born again, you're already in heaven. You're already seated there with him. Okay. Um, but when we talk about things like showing mercy to other people, when we talk about, um, you know, if we don't forgive other people, then Father won't forgive us. We're talking about things that are going to affect and influence our fellowship with Him. It's going to affect and influence our ability to receive from Him the things that He wants us to experience and enjoy in this life. Remember, He says, if your heart condemns you, He's bigger than your heart. But if your heart doesn't condemn you, praise God, we have confidence that whatever we ask of Him, we receive of Him. So see, it it goes back to that heart confidence thing. So, you know, 
living clean and, 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 and having no uh, hindrances or hiccups or any kind of issue that would, that would be between your heart and God's heart and, and your ability to hear from Him clearly and your heart not be hardened and callous because, see, when you hold those things on the inside of you, right, it, 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 it's like um, what? when we talk about a callous, what is a callous? A callous is just a place that's being rubbed in a way consistently that it shouldn't, you know, be rubbed, you know. And are you following what I'm saying? And, and, and so when we talk about our hearts becoming hardened, you know, it would be like if you, if you had something in your shoe that didn't belong in your shoe. First thing it's going to do is it's going to, it's going to make it sore and tender. But if you leave that in there and, and, and eventually the sore and tender That'll become a blister and maybe a sore. At some point, it's going to become a really hard spot. You, you follow what I'm saying? So when we hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness and, and things of this nature in our lives, man, it affects us internally. It, 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 it affects our fellowship with God. It affects how we see ourselves, how we feel, our emotions, and how we feel about ourselves. All of these things, all this junk that Father wants to set us free from, that He wants us to... to, 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 to um, be out from under the weight of. So when we talk about forgiving others and being forgiven, I, I don't think we're... I, you can disagree with me. It's okay. I'm, I'm convinced. It's, it's not about, well, you're going to go to hell then because he's not going to forgive you and he's just going to drop kick you right into hell because you didn't forgive somebody for getting your parking spot when you were 19 years old. You know, No, see, that, that, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about growing, right? We, you being his son has nothing to do with, with you earning it or being good enough to be called it or none of that. All that is Jesus. All of that's what Jesus has done for you. We're talking about walking and growing and maturing and developing and fellowshipping with him and, 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 and becoming his friend and becoming uh, one that's chosen, one that wants a relationship with him on his terms, one that's that's willing to do it his way and, 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 and trust him and, and, and live with a, uh, you know, not taking for granted his forbearance, not taking for granted his, his goodness to us. Man, he's been so good to us. <laughs> you know, the least we can do is be good to somebody else. He's been so good to me. The least I can do is forgive somebody. He's, he's forgiven me of so much. The least I can do is not judge somebody because, man, if he had judged me, if, if the judgment that I deserved was, was swift and, and sure as it should have been, I'd have been a goner a long time ago. So I, I, you see what I'm saying? The least I can do. See, for me to judge somebody else means I'm forgetting how good he's been to me. For me to judge somebody else means I'm forgetting how patient he's been with me. For me to, 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 to not show mercy to somebody else means I'm, I have failed to realize how much mercy he's shown me. And that has a whole lot more implications and fall out in our lives than just thank you Jesus you know the Bible talks about things that we do in this life costing us a reward that we would have otherwise had in the next life so we don't we don't, we don't think about that but but that's that's the reality. Jesus explained all that to us. 
devil's not just trying to keep you from experiencing and enjoying your inheritance on this side of heaven. He's, he's working now trying to get you to do things and lay up for yourself judgment and all that stuff. So in the, in, you get to the next life. Stealing your reward. I don't, I don't want that to happen. If he was here tonight, I'd probably get him to come tell you this himself, but I'll certainly give him credit for it. Sometimes, you know, I hear a quote or a song, I'll even read a book, and I, man, I wish I'd have wrote that book, or I'll see an, an invention, you know, that made somebody a billion dollars, you know, for some little something trinket about that big, you know, and I'm like, man, I wish I'd have thought of that. And um, last Wednesday, I told you that um, David was shown mercy when other kings were not. Because he gave mercy when other kings did not. It's not that God's playing favorites and has a different, you know. How just would it be? I've, I've asked you this question before. How just of an earthly judge, if, if an earthly judge did not hold his own son accountable for breaking the law, he's not a just judge. That's not fair. So we think, well, God is, you know, just playing favorites with David. No, David showed mercy. So I made that statement. Donald Ballard came up to me after church at Wednesday night. He says, the one time David didn't show mercy, it cost him the rest of his life. You remember when he didn't show mercy? He didn't show mercy when the prophet came to him and told him this elaborate story. He said there was this one man that had one precious sheep and that was all that he had and he loved that sheep more than anything. And there was a, a very wealthy and powerful man who had a thousand sheep. But he came and he took that man's sheep from him and killed that man. And David said, show me where he is and I'll kill him right now. I'll execute him right now. And the prophet says, you're the man, David. You've got everything. You've got all the women you want. You've got all the wives you want. You've got all the power you want. And you took Bathsheba from Uriah and had him killed. Notice the only time he didn't show mercy, he didn't show it to himself. Right? See? Yeah. And it cost him the rest of his life. I'm, I'm curious just to see if, if, what David, if David had said something like, well, you know, we don't, we don't know what was going on with that man. I'd like to talk to him and see if we could reason. <laughs> if, if, in other words, if you think if he'd showed that, if he had showed mercy to this hypothetical situation that he was actually the key player in, I don't know. But I'm sure Donald's somewhere watching. Brother, thank you for, for that, and I gave you credit for it. But we know it came from the Holy Spirit. That's what you would say if you was here. Stand with me. Amen. Are you getting anything out of this tonight? Sure. Amen. 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 So being merciful would include then being merciful to yourself. The Bible says if you judge yourself, you won't be judged. But judging yourself, amen, show yourself some mercy too. Amen. That don't mean sweeping it under the rug, excusing it. But amen, don't be condemning yourself and bashing yourself and beating yourself up. Amen. When you, when you recognize that there's some area in your life that you are wrong, you've, you've sinned, the Bible says you confess it. Father, I, I, I did it. I'm wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I'm asking you to forgive me, and I'm asking you to help me. Um, one of the things that I've, I've learned to pray is, Lord, show me what it is that's in me that keeps producing this kind of 
behavior? What, what thinking needs to change? What's, what may be in my heart that doesn't need to be there? Because from the heart spring the issues of life. And, um, and, and rather than wallowing in it and, and, and beating yourself up over it, ask Him to forgive you, ask Him to help you, and then move on. Amen. Amen. Father, we love you. Thank you for this time together tonight. Thank you for these beautiful people, Lord. Thank you, Father, that we're, we're not laying up uh, and accumulating um, judgment for ourselves at a future date. But, Father, we're, <laughs> we're laying up mercy for ourselves. Lord, we, we're, we are making it so easy for you to be merciful to us, Lord, because we are choosing to be merciful to other people. Father, we're making it so easy for you to forgive us, Lord, because, Lord, we are choosing to forgive other people and be patient with them and forbear and long-suffering, Lord, and recognizing, Father, not everybody has, has you know, experienced what we've experienced and know what we know. And, and, and so, Lord, we just we thank you for loving us and for helping us. And, Lord, we believe that your hand's on us, your hand's on our families, and we just thank you, Lord, for, for helping us um, be aware uh, of your goodness to us. And, and Lord, that, that the more aware we are of your goodness to us, Lord, will translate into us being good to others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, your love, thank you for being here tonight. Um, tell somebody around you good things coming. We'll see you Sunday, if not before.